flowers. So, ladies, we will be stirring up in the next few weeks your heart towards the women's retreat, which is coming up. It's the first weekend in April, and Brooke is going to help us with that stirring right now. So, here you go, Brooke. Hello? Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I attended this church for several years before I actually took the leap and signed up to go to a women's retreat. And so I'd like to encourage every single woman, whether you're single, married, with child, without a child, to sign up for this event. It is April 1st through the 3rd. There's a sign-up table in the back. Um, and any one of the women back there can help answer any questions. Um, every night, I have to plug this phone in to charge back up. And sometimes, even throughout the day, I have to charge it back up. And I really feel that's what this retreat does for me personally. Um, I looked up what retreat meant in the dictionary, and it says just that, to withdraw to a quiet or secluded place. And you can think there's times in the Bible where Jesus did just that. He withdrew and went to a quiet place to pray and to think about things and to make sure his heart was in the right place. So I would like to encourage every single woman here to sign up for this event. Um, I have the privilege of leading and coordinating the uh, spare time that we have, the free time, it's called free time, uh, on Saturday afternoon, in the afternoon. And with that, we have some things we've done in the past and some new things that we will be doing this year. And so with that, you have to sign up because there's limited spots. So we will be having Family Feud, and our own Christina will be leading that. There's a lot of competitive women in this group, so if you want to be on a team, I encourage you to sign up for that. There's only 10 spots. Um, in addition, both Jasmine and Christina will be leading a worship dance, and will be performing that in the evening. So only 13 women can do that. And last year they did merengue and everybody enjoyed that. This year they're gonna do something different and we're really excited to see that. Um, so if you have some rhythm or skills, or, or even if you don't, that's okay, sign up. There's 13 spots for that. They will be asking um, one meeting before the retreat to just get together and understand what they're, what you guys are going to do in the dress and what the um, songs look like. And then the last one that I'm also really excited, um, a member of our, our team last year um, did a scavenger hunt, and we're going to do that again this year. Um, it's not going to be as intense. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of... Um, flexing your mind, um, and both Mimi and Halisha are, are orchestrating that. So I thank all the women that are involved in planning this. It's pretty impressive. Um, in addition, we have a prayer um, event every Sunday after church. If you'd like to come, meet some of the women that are, that are at the retreat, um, or just pray over the event. It's extremely important. So I thank all the women, as well as the dads who might be staying behind to help allow the women to go. So thank you, and I hope to see all of you there. Thank you, Brooke. Yes, men, time for you to uh, brush up on your skills. If you haven't already, which you should be an expert at already, but taking care of the kids while your wives go on this retreat. We're looking forward to that. Um, not to be outdone, actually, men, 
you have a breakfast on Saturday, April 9th. And if you haven't uh, signed up for that, is there a sign up for that in the back? And there's also, that'll be going out online as well. <laughs> and lastly, before we be, get into God's Word, there is seven days left in this project to get a, uh, antennas in the FM, Christian FM radio projected from the top of the Hancock. It gets complicated, but per, per FCC rules our license is going to expire a week from now. And they were just up yesterday hanging the antennas on top of the Hancock, and it did not go well. And the problem is tomorrow it's rain, Tuesday there's rain. Uh, you, you say, well, why are you waiting to the last minute? There's been so many obstacles. We've seen the Lord take them all out of the way. But uh, first time in the history of Boston, Christian FM radio... Uh, being broadcast from right in the middle of the city. Actually, now, technically, there's radio in the city, but it's being broadcast from outside the city from a couple of the uh, stations that we've got going in the last uh, couple of years. And when I say we, it's not just our church. It's a number of Calvary Chapel churches working on this project. But I tell you, uh, one day this week, I'm going to be fasting. I'd love for you to join me one day to fast for this. Uh, and we will be praying on uh, Thursday night as well. Okay, so we are going through Ephesians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you could rise for the reading of God's Word, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, going through this wonderful letter, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We will be starting this morning in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says... When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, that's a mouthful. Now let's pray that the Lord would interpret that mouthful. You can pray for me while you're in your seats this morning as I speak about this. Father, we thank you. This is a picture of the church, of the body of Christ, Lord Jesus, of your body. And Lord, we want to be a picture of that. We want to be a living, breathing representation to the world of your body, Jesus. Bring us understanding and let our hearts embrace all of this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul describes who you are in God's eyes. God describes in the first three chapters of this book who you are in God's eyes. He describes the man or woman God has made you to be in the, in the first three chapters. He does that. Who God made you after He got a hold of you and He saved you. The man or woman He describes in these first three chapters the man and woman you are in Christ is indescribably beautiful. And in these first three chapters, the, the, the man or woman uh, who you were, though prior to God getting a hold of you, Paul also describes, and it is a man or woman who is indescribably not beautiful. You could say, ugly. Now the amazing, I would go so far as saying shocking, one of the most under-publicized truths of Christianity is a man or woman goes from being indescribably not beautiful, ugly, to being indescribably beautiful in just an instant of time. In a twinkling of an eye, the moment they believe in Jesus Christ and by faith ask Him into their lives, just in a moment of time, God takes what is indescribably ugly and makes it indescribably beautiful. And all that happens in a human life for no cost. It cost you nothing to have God do that in your life. It cost so little nothing because it cost Jesus so much. It's so indescribably beautiful because what it costs to get you there, the cross, that unrecognizable bloody mess Jesus on the cross, was so ugly and cost Him so much. 
So now, if you take time to just meditate on, chew on, reflect on, absorb this great salvation that God has brought and that you are a part of, if you just take time to reflect on it, chew on it, and, and really ab- get it just to absorb, let it absorb into your soul, man, you will be go- ready to go out and do anything for God. And, and I said at the beginning of this study in Ephesians, if you would take six months and just read the first three chapters of Ephesians over and over again, it will completely change your life. You'll be a completely different person after six months. After six months, it doesn't even necessarily have to take that long. We've done it in three months. In three months, if, if you really get it, what the indescribably beautiful man or woman that God has made you into, free by His grace, you not deserving a bit of it, you'll be ready to go out and do absolutely anything for God. Anything. And that is where we have come to in chapter 4. Also chapter 5 and chapter 6. It's about, okay, now that you realize who God you is, has made you to, to be, what are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? That's what chapter 4, 5, and 6 is all about. Nothing about what to do as a Christian in the first three chapters of this letter. But chapter 4, start. we start what the doing is. So what does God want you to do? What does chapter 4 start off with? Notice, it doesn't start off with, when, when he begins speaking about what to do, it doesn't start with a list of do not do's. No sex, no drugs, no rock and roll, don't cuss, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with boys who do. You hear that, women? Don't go out with them, men. It doesn't start off there, though. Although, to give the Scripture the, it, it, its adequate place, he's going to address those things later on in this letter. He just doesn't begin. That's not his priority. That's not the first thing he starts with. He doesn't start off with he, because those things, because all those things are, are outward problems. They're outward manifestation of an inner problem in your inner man, in your inner woman. What does he start off with when it comes with, to the doing? He starts off with your inner man, your inner woman, and what you do, what that inner man, inner woman does, what they're like. And so that's why in verse 2, he says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bear with one another in love. With all lowliness and gentleness, humility is another translation. The one and only adjective that Jesus describes himself within the New Testament. Humility. The most beautiful thing in the world that a person can have, and yet the rarest. Humility. And so we spent all last week on that one thing. And, and, and what did we say? The ingredients to becoming a humble man or a humble woman were. What are the two things? Shout it out. Number one. 
accurate view of yourself, a right view of yourself. Number two, the right view of God. If you have the right view of who you really are, we have all kinds of crazy ideas of, of, of who we are. We either have way too high of a view or way too low of a view. You have the right view of who you are and the right view of who God is. In other words, he's God and I am not. You will walk in humility or you will grow in humility. And what did we say? What does the verses say? Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. What's going to be the beautiful result of that that God really desires and looks out for? Come on, don't you know it? <laughs> Unity. That's right. Now, that was my wife who responded. <laughs> It says, verse 3, once you have all this humility, the lowliness, the gentleness, you endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity where? In the body of Christ. In the body of Christ. Now, you don't need to be at Calvary Chapel for very long to understand what we're real serious about here is studying the Word of God. We encourage you to study the Word of God in your own time, and we, act, we, we encourage you to take notes, to actually get out a notebook and write down in your own time. No one's paying you to do it. Take notes of, of what you're reading about, but also to mark your Bible. Oh, Steve, you can't say that. That's disrespectful. No, not true. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's disrespectful to mark the Word of God. It says a lot in the, Word of, in the Word of God about getting to know the Bible. We recommend that you mark it. And one of the things that we recommend that you do as you're studying your Bible is to circle words that seem to be repeated over and over again in a particular uh, chapter or section of a book. Because, you know, when your mom or dad tells you something over and over again, what does it mean? It means they really want you to know that thing. And when, but when God tells you something over and over again, we really, really, really need to get that thing. Circling repeated words. God's trying to get into our knuckle heads. And so, one of the words, if you are marking your Bible like that, that you will see Time and time again in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 is the word body, referring to the body of Christ, which is God's name for the church. We may call a church Calvary Chapel or First Baptist Church or Boston Pentecostal Church. God calls the church the body of Christ. That's his name for it. So quickly, let's just read through a couple of these verses that use the word body. Verse 4, follow with me. It says, there is one body. Verse 12 says, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification, which means the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body 
joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth, growth of the body. And then if you, you just turn your page, or maybe you're on the same page, to chapter 5, verse 23, husbands is the head of the wife, is also Christ is the head of the church, for he is the Savior of the body. Now read carefully verse 30. For we, and that would mean you and me, are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Wow. Strange, but wow. The body thing is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. And I want to spend some time this morning on this thing. The body of Christ. What is it? And where do you fit into it? Where do you fit into it? It's a big deal to God. Why? Because it, because it is through the church, the body of Christ, that the world discovers that Jesus Christ is not dead. Not only is Jesus Christ not dead, he's doing the very same things he did when he lived on earth. The only difference is he's in a different body. The body of Christ, the church, is the evidence that Jesus Christ is alive. It's a big deal to God, this body thing. The social issues that existed at the time Jesus lived, they're the same issues that exist today. You have bigotry, you have racism, you have uh, rich oppressing the poor, you have men oppressing women, the idolatry of wealth and sex, uh, a cultural violence. Oh, it was all there. And Jesus, well, is ministering and confronting those same problems today just as he did 2,000 years ago, except he's in a different body. So the purpose, the calling of the church, your purpose, your calling is to show the world that Jesus Christ is alive and he's moving in power and love today just as he did in the days of his flesh. Now, um, how does he do it? And that's what this chapter is about. That's what these verses are about. How does he do that? How does he move and minister today exactly as he did 2,000 years ago? Answer, by giving each and every one of you a piece of the very same ministry that he had on earth 2,000 years ago. So verse 7, what does it say of chapter 4? But to each one of us, that means you, to each one of you, grace was given. At the time you became a, a, a Christian, at the, at the time you invited Jesus into your heart, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, this is, this is the Holy Spirit, God says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, 
He ascended, what, it does, what does it mean? But that he also first ascended into the lower parts of the earth, verse 10. He who descended, or went down, is also the one who ascended, went up, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all those things. And he gave himself some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Now, in these verses, you could also circle another word. Anyone know what that word is? Gift. You could also circle that word, the word gift. Again, verse 7 there says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, that word for grace at the beginning of verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given could just as well be translated itself as gift. In, some, in, in fact, some translations actually do that. They translate that word grace, they translate it gift. And so the Good News translation, do we have that? It says this, each one of us has received a special gift. So in the translation in the New King James Version, or the NIV, it'll say grace, but some translations actually use the word Gift. Each one of us has received a gift in proportion to what Christ has given. Uh, but then it says in verse 8, it says, When he, Jesus, ascended on high, when he went off on up high, when he was taken up into heaven, he led captivity captive. In other words, he defeated the enemies of death. The curse of sin, the devil. He, he led captivity captive. But then it says in verse 8, and he gave gifts to men. So that, there's that word gift again. He gave gifts to men, uh, or as it says in verse 7, he gave gifts to each of us. Now, we, in church, we commonly refer these two as spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is literally a piece of Jesus, a ministry of Jesus that he gives to every single one of you. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. You may not know it, but you have been given one if you are a Christian. So I want to talk about this term, spiritual gift, because uh, it's, 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 it, all this fits together. Spiritual gifts, the body. Spiritual gifts, the body. So spiritual gift, here's a definition for you. A spiritual gift is a ministry of Jesus Christ performed by the power of the Holy Spirit through you. A spiritual gift is a ministry of Jesus Christ performed by the power of the Holy Spirit through you. Now, these gifts um, are actually listed out in several places in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Romans 12, chapter 12 as well. But here in Ephesians 4, you have five of them mentioned. We just read them in verse 11. These are five spiritual gifts in verse 11. It says, He Himself, meaning Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are five gifts, but there are 20 gifts, spiritual gifts, that are mentioned in the Bible. And you have at least one of them. 
No one has all of them, but you have at least one of them. I've listed these 20 gifts out here, spiritual gifts. Now, I cannot possibly overemphasize the importance, the emphasis given to spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And again, it's all tied into who you are in the body of Christ. I'll explain that a little bit more later. But I want to very briefly run through these with you. The women in the ladies' Bible studies have been on these for six months now. I'm just going to go through them uh, really briefly because this is the body of Christ. This is the, the body of Christ. This is it. This is broken down for us right here. That's what it is. And now, you know, you, you picture this is the body of Christ. Picture a human body. Picture a human body. Rather than picture it in our mind, why don't we just look at a human body? Do we have a picture of a human body there? Well, there you go. There's a human body. So you guys have seen these. Here's the brain here, and here's the eye here, and there's the ear. Here's an arm, a leg, a stomach, a shoulder, a neck, a mouth. <laughs> a mouth. This smiley little human body there. And, and, and so... Um, just imagine now those gifts that we just projected up there, and I'm going to project them back again. Imagine those gifts along with your name in one of the places connected to a piece of the body. That is the body of Christ. So, Sean, could we have just briefly uh, the spiritual gifts? I'm going to run through these real careful. And I hope you're taking notes because this is just so important that we have an understanding of these things. Prophecy, it's that supernatural ability to speak the Word of God into particular life circumstances of a group of people. Uh, people often think of prophecy, that first one, as something that's ha a prediction about the future. Most of the time, it's not. Some of the time, it is. But it's just about speaking truth God's truth and applying it to some current event or circumstances for today. Evangelism. It's just that ability to share Jesus Christ with people. Shepherding means just, uh, or pastoring, it means guiding, caring for, protecting the church, teaching, just explaining what the Bible is. Ex exhortation, encouragement means just to, one way or another, you're building people up and you're calling them to action. Leadership, administration, giving, referring specifically to money. Some people just have the gift of giving money. Even people who don't have a lot of it. They have, just have this gift. Now, everyone in the body of Christ, the Bible says, has a responsibility to give of their money, the first fruits of it, but some have just this special gift. Helps, service, two different gifts. Gifts. They're actually different gifts. Um, helps is a gift where, you know, there's certain people who have this gift. There's a, a couple brothers and a couple sisters in this church. I can call them any time of the day, and I just, I know they're not going to say no. I just know it for a fact. 
they are not going to say no. Why? Because they have the spiritual gift of just helping. Your, your car is broken down. Or you, you, you need a ride someplace. Um, or, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, you, you, the plumbing just burst in your home and water is flooding your house. You call one of these folks, they're there. Uh, then the gift of service is more like a person who's a support person. So someone who comes alongside and just helps with a particular function, sort of on a more permanent base to, basis, like an assistant pastor has this gift. The gift of mercy, meaning the gift of being able to understand a person's pain or even their joy. Words of wisdom. This is a spiritual gift where you go into a situation and everyone is scratching their head and banging their heads against the wall and, and just supernaturally, you're allowed, you just, God gives you the ability just to go in and speak how to resolve the situation. A word of knowledge. It's a supernatural gift. Best example I can know of is Jesus Christ. John chapter 4, the women at the well. He goes up to her and he says, where's your husband? She goes, I don't have a husband. I know you've had five husbands and the man you're now with, you're currently living with. Uh, that's a word of knowledge. Those exercise within the body of Christ as well. The gift of faith. Everyone has the gift of faith, but there's a spiritual gift of faith which allows someone, usually given to leaders, to to bring a group of people or a, in a ministry or something to just a different place when, you know, you just have a mountain in front of you. And by faith, through the spiritual gift of faith, you're able to move it aside. Gift of healings, those have operated in this room. Uh, praise God. The gift of discernment. We live in a spiritual world. There are evil spirits and there are spirits of God. A, a, a person, a man or woman with this gift is able to discern whether the spirit or whether the behavior of someone is, is from the world or the, the devil or if it's from the Lord. The gift of tongues, supernaturally speaking another language and then the gift of tongues doesn't do a whole lot of good unless you're an, you have an interpreter and, and the, thus says Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. And so some people have the gift of interpreting tongues. Uh, apostleship. Don't confuse this uh, gift with the title. There were 12 apostles. They had the title of apostle. This is a gift. This is someone who has the gift to go out. Apostle means sent one. They, they, they have the gift to go out and start churches. And then they oversee the churches. Brian Vandercody in Peru, who we support, Pastor Brian, uh, has this gift. Finally, the gift of miracles is just in any given situation, uh, this person is able to, to, to pray and, and see just a miracle happen. I remember, I keep talking about Haiti, but I remember we were in Haiti one time and we, we were supposed to uh, minister in one place and our generator um, just was... Uh, not was broken or missing or something and 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 all of a sudden someone prayed and just a generator came out of nowhere and we were in middle of nowhere in Haiti and when you're in the middle of nowhere in Haiti there ain't no generators and 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 so uh, it, 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 they're all for what purpose are they for um to exercise so you can go look at me ah no they are for look at verse um, 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, which means building up 
of the body of Christ. That's why God has given you a spiritual gift. You may not know it yet. I, I, by, by the end of the service, if you don't know it, I want you seeking the Lord as to what it is. Now, again, no one has all of these gifts except there was one person who did, and that was Jesus Christ. Imagine that. Imagine your Savior. Every single one of these was in full operation in his life. That's just an amazing thing. None of us would be able to take that because our pride would, our heads would explode. They would spontaneously combust. I mean, if we ever got that many gifts, but only Jesus, only God had all these um, operating. But what he does, again, it says in verse 8, it says, when he ascended on high, when he went up to heaven, he led captivity captive, but then what did he do? He gave pieces of himself. He gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. There is a wonderful picture of all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I would like you to turn there with me at this time. So that's to the left in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, we won't be too much longer, but I would just ask that you try to stick with me here because this, this issue of the body of Christ and of spiritual gifts and of you being a member of that body, an eye, your mouth, a foot, a brain, an ear, so important. Let's just start here. 1 Corinthians chapter... Did I say 11? Chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body, now if you're circling, oh my goodness, are you going to be busy in these verses? If you're circling the word body. For as the body, verse 12, is one, and as many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Ever hear someone say, well, you know, I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. This is the place I take them to. This is right here. When I hear someone say that, I say, you know, you know why the church is so blind? And you're telling me right now they're all hypocrites because they're so blind. It's because you're not there. You're an eye. There you have it. Now you know what to say. Verse 12, or rather verse... Um, 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable pots, parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that which lacks it, that there should be no schism, meaning a division, in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. The body of Christ and your place in it. You, you, you can't say, well, I, I, I'm an engine and that's all that's needed. Because an engine needs a steering wheel. An engine needs brakes. An engine needs tires in, for a car to function. It, all working to, together. So now, back to Ephesians chapter 4. At this point, I just, let's, just, let's pause and reflect There is enormous confusion today as to what the mission of the church is. What is the mission of the church and how it is supposed to respond to what is going on out there? The church, what is it supposed to do about all this? The world seems to be unraveling. What's the church supposed to do? Who's it supposed to be in the midst of all this? The Bible teaches, and Jesus repeatedly promised, that he will return again and establish a kingdom on earth in which he will he'll reign, he'll be a king. Jesus talked about that repeatedly. But the Bible also teaches that until that time, sin will continue to have a very preeminent place on planet earth. The Bible says that where sin is, there death is. In the book of James, it says sin, do we have that verse, Sean? Sin, where it is full grown, bring forth death. That's James 1.15. And that's not only speaking of physical death. Death works its way into every place, every situation where sin is. And that's why we see death at work in so many places around us. In race relationships. In relationships between rich and poor. In relationships between religion. Death is at work. In relationships between the powerful and the weak. Between government and the people. Death is work. Why? Because sin is there. Between families, within families. Uh, the, the sin is there, so death is at work. At no time... In the history of the United States has the family unit been so broken down in so many quarters. You walk through the city, 
And in many places, family, it's, un, it's in an unrecognizable form. And with the world trying to say, oh, but that's, kind, that's a form of a family. No, that's a family where death has entered in and killed it. That's what it is. And, 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 and sin has had its way and death has entered in and the social ills that we're faced with today are, are just overwhelmingly innumerable. And so, brothers and sisters, what is the church supposed to do? We're right in the middle of political season. Is the, is the church supposed to stir up its people so that the right man or the right woman gets into political office and works change? Is that what the church is supposed to do? No. The, the Bible does not teach that, at that as the mission of the church. The church, nothing of this sort. Christians are instructed in the Bible to take their responsibility as citizens seriously, and including their responsibility to vote. But that's not the mission of the church, political change. Is the church supposed to organize boycotts, marches, sit-ins, walkouts, whatever? Again, there are times and places for a Christian maybe to participate in that, but that is not the mission of the church. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about anything like that. The mission of the church is just to be the body of Christ. That's the mission of the church. I, I've, I've sat around in church settings, in religious settings, and what is the mission statement of our church? And it, it starts sounding like a corporation or a government. The mission of the church is in Ephesians chapter 4. It's just to be the body of Christ. When, when the church starts focusing on being the body of Christ, what happens? The world discovers that God is not dead. That God is alive. That Jesus Christ really did raise from the dead. He really was taken up to heaven. He really is alive and well. He's not silent. He's very active. He's very engaged. And he's moving powerfully. Bringing light to where there's darkness. Bringing love to where there's hate. Bringing peace to where there's uh, war. And bringing judgments to where there's wickedness bringing a holy fear where there's mockery and cynicism, bringing a purity where there is impurity, bringing eternal salvation where there is otherwise eternal damnation. And the world sees that and it will realize God is not dead. He's alive. Let me tell you, political change is at best merely a check on the forces of evil. But the change that God wants to bring about through you involves a complete overwhelming defeat of the forces of evil. A permanent defeat of the for forces of evil. Listen, every time a human soul, a man or woman or child, comes into contact with the body of Christ and responds by giving their soul, their heart to Christ, Evil has been defeated permanently. <laughs> a soul life which was a trophy of the devil, a trophy of the world, a trophy of foolishness has become a trophy of the Lord forever, a shining star. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 has a great picture of this. 
referring to those who have been saved from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, those who are the wise, meaning who have been saved, will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's permanent change. Listen, even secular history books, reluctantly maybe, but they do include those seasons of U.S. history where there was great revival. They can't, they have to include those things because it is in those awakenings, in that revival, that enormous social change happened. Just being the body of Christ. Now, I want to close now, actually, if the worship team can, can come up at this time, but there's a problem. And that is many in the body of Christ, and there are those in this room, you're not exercising your gift. You may not know your gift. And even if you do know it, you're not exercising it. You're not being the body of Christ. You're not being that hand, that eye, that ear that God has called you to be. You're not being the body of Christ. And, and I am one when I look out at social upheaval. You know, you have a guy running for president now who says things like he's never asked God for forgiveness. How did we ever get to a place like this? It's the church's fault. We're not being the body of Christ. That's why, that's why we're in the place that we are. Let's just take responsibility where it belongs, with ourselves. And, and, and some of you, you're not being the body of Christ. Now, it could be because... Um, it could be because you're fearful. I mean, you look, at, you look at, for example, those gifts of teaching the Bible, and you're saying, teaching the Bible, that takes like an extrovert? Listen, I have four very extroverted daughters, okay? And they will tell you I'm an introvert. If it was up to me, I would be behind a potted plant in a cra- whenever there's a crowded room. I would be behind a potted plant with sunglasses on. That's just who I am. Hey, Steve, hey, you really need to come out. Why? I, I like it here. Well, no, you're the pastor. You've got to come out. This is church time. And, and, and I understand it. It's not easy. But, but listen, the whole point of this discussion of the body of Christ in the individual, uh, in the individual members, the individual gifts, is that it's all supernatural. It's supernatural. It's the supernatural power of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, and I keep bringing us back here because Paul praises for the church before explaining a lot of this stuff. Look at verse 19. He prays for them, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, that they would understand the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. 
It's all about supernatural power. If you're thinking, well, I can never do this thing, that some voice is, is poking me in, in my inner man, my inner woman to, to do, I, I can't do this because it's, it's impossible. I'm me and that's that. Well, that's exactly what exercising spiritual gifts is all about. It's, it's about moving forward in the face of the impossible doing which you're, frankly, in the natural, you may be very, very weak at. Very, very bad at. Some of you are not being who Christ has called you to be because you're lazy. You're lazy. There's so many proverbs about lazy. There's so, laziness. There's so much um, in the Bible about laziness. It's because God knows who we are, and He repeats those things, and we circle those things because, ooh, I better get. I, I, he's trying to get my attention here. Some of you aren't operating in the gift of God because you just don't know. And so, if any of those things apply to you uh, apply to you if any of those three things you're you're fearful to operate you have a good idea that you know what you're supposed to be doing other people who you trust have encouraged you to do it but you haven't do it, done it out of fear i want you to come up and pray while the closing worship song plays others of you are lazy and you know you're lazy if that describes you, I, I, just come up. We'll, we'll pray about it. That God would fill you and just smite that laziness. And he does that, you know. And then some of you may not understand what your spiritual gift is. And sometimes, actually, it does take a number of years as we grow and learn about God to understand what it is. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't fall into the trap of just making an excuse. Oh, I don't understand what it is, so I'm just going to sit on my rear end while the rest of the body of Christ is busy exercising their gift. Don't do that. But if you've been asked to pray, please come up. Let's worship now. Let's stand. Why don't we stand? I'll close in prayer and we'll close with a worship song. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, of filling our life with such purpose. And Lord, I go back to this prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. And I pray it for us again this morning. I pray, God, that you'd fill all of us, every man, woman, and child here with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are, Jesus. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and that we would know what our calling is, what the hope of our calling is. I pray that, Lord, we would understand what the riches of the glory of your glory and glorious inheritance in Christ is. And finally, Lord, that we would understand what the exceeding greatness of your power is towards us who believe. I pray that all 
In Jesus' name. Let's worship.